All right. So we're um, continuing this section in Romans chapter 5. So in our series, uh, Romans, Grace and Peace to You, uh, the emphasis on, on my whole series has been this understanding that God's grace brings peace. The more we understand about the grace of God working in our life, the more peace we have. The world wants peace without grace. They want peace without drawing upon the grace of God, the gift of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. You can't have it. It's not peace to you. It's grace and peace. And the more we understand what God has done. So Paul has spent chapters here, <laughs> pages of his writing, um, stating things and restating them, illustrating and re-illustrating, giving one example after another example, answering questions, posing questions and answering them, uh, possibly uh, engaging some people who he knows have opposed him uh, there in Rome and raised questions. But this is, um, this is a powerful letter that Paul has written. And just to hearken back to one thing uh, that we said when we were talking in the very early parts of this, and I know you remember all of the early lessons, but... Um, yeah, you were you were ten years old then, but um, <laughs> Paul wrote this letter from the city of Corinth, but he had already written two letters to the church at Corinth, and uh, there was a church that had trouble, and so Paul responded. Some of the people didn't like what he said, so he wrote another letter to them. Then he went to visit them. And if you read the book of Acts carefully, you realize that there was a period of time when they literally threw him out of the church. And uh, so then he got back to Ephesus, and he wrote a really, really harsh letter. Now, those letters 2 and 3 are combined into what we know of as 2 Corinthians. Somewhere in all of that process, then he deserted to go back to Corinth, and there he found acceptance especially at a church in the city of Sincrea, of which a woman named Phoebe was the leader. And um, though he never uses the title pastor, Paul never uses the title pastor for any other person in the New Testament. So was there a woman pastor uh, to the shock of some denominations? Keep my mouth, keep my mouth shut. Uh, you tell yours, you can have your. But to the shock of some denominations, yes, there was a woman pastor, and Paul himself even submitted to her when he was at that church. But anyway, so in that church at Corinth, in the second letter, which was severe at the beginning, then the third letter, which was nicer. And then a little bit more severe at the back. So it's kind of, Second Corinthians is paste, copy and paste. And sometimes you put this letter, the nice letter, the bad letter, you know, and, uh, and then a little bit more nice at the end. But in there, Paul addresses 
the issue of our salvation. He's been talking about behavior. Most of First and Second Corinthians deals with our behavior, our life, uh, what we're doing as as believers. But he came to Second Corinthians chapter five, and he outlines there's some powerful truth that we are all familiar with. So Second Corinthians chapter five, starting in verse seventeen, uh, we all know as Paul presents that. For if you are in Christ, anyone who is in Christ is what? A new creation. So stop being the old people that you were. I use that. Spiritually old people. As unbelievers, stop being that old person and be the new person that you are. Because... All of your past is done away with. And you're a new creation, a, an original creation in Christ. And old things have passed away. And all things have been made new. And then he presents in that passage some material that we will talk about tonight. And it's amazing how 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in that section, verses 17 through 21, basically present the same material that we're talking about here in Romans chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Actually, verse 15 through 21. But, so let's look here as Paul is now presenting that same material to the church in Rome concerning the fact that they have been reconciled. And in order for them to be reconciled, something had to be removed. The thing that was between them and God. And the thing between them and God was sin. God could not stand it, could not tolerate, could not look upon it. It had to be removed. And the only way to remove it is to judge the people who are doing it. But if he judged the people who are doing it, then he couldn't save them. So he did what? He put it all upon his son. So God reconciled man to himself. You can't reconcile yourself to God. You can't deal with the thing that's in between you and God. But God could. So he took it out of the way. How did he do that? And that's what we're looking at. He makes the statements in the first parts there of chapter 5, but starting in verse 12, he gives us the example of how God dealt with that thing that was in between. And he dealt with it. He reconciled man by presenting Jesus Christ as the new man. Adam being the first man, Jesus being the second man. So let's read here, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who? Adam. Adam. And death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Verse 
17. I'm skipping a couple verses. Go down to Romans 5.17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive, who receive, big word, who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So the answer was his son, Jesus Christ. Adam brought sin and death, separation. In order to be reconciled, that had to be removed. So Jesus came to be the way that that is removed and the way that man can then be reconciled to God, brought back into that position. And those who receive it are also justified. So when you believe, you're justified. God reconciled, you accept it, you believe, and he justifies you, makes you righteous. They're so close to what they do that it's almost the same thing, but different. So, Adam becomes the physical head of the human race. And because he's the physical head, the first man, right? The first man. Because he's the first man, then every person born in this earth comes from him. His DNA is in you. And so that is in you. But so also is his guilt for the sin, and the seed of sin is passed into every man. So that you say, well, I don't know, I, I, I know I'm descended from Adam, but I'm, I, I shouldn't have to bear that gift. Have you sinned? Is there any person in this earth could say, I didn't sin? No. And because of that, that's the evidence that sin is in you. And if sin is in you, then you're dead. Well, I'm alive. Yeah, but you're dead. Dead what? Separated. Death doesn't mean to cease to exist. Death in the Bible means to be separated. Physical death, you're separated from this life. But are you gone? No. You're one place or another. You're either in paradise, a place of bless, rest, and peace, or you're in a place of torment, which is the waiting room for hell. All right? So if you're there, you just got one step further, and that's the second judgment that will come. Now, so this physical head of the human race passed on this, as we call it, sin nature to every man. Not only did he pass on human nature, but also sin nature. Because he's not just the physical head of the human race, he's also the federal head. In other words, everything that was done is under his authority. And so he is the federal head of the human race. He was the first man, 
He was the first man, Adam. But God wanted to bring man to himself, so he made a plan. That's the message of the gospel. You want to know what the gospel is? That God sent his son to pay the price for our sin, that we might be brought into relationship with him. And you can expand it all that you want to, but that's the basis of the gospel. And the way that God is going to do this is by introducing another man. So that we're not all under Adam, now there's a new man who steps in. And that new man is Jesus Christ. And so God presents another man. In the New Testament, there's titles. There's the first Adam. Jesus was the second Adam. There's the old man, and there's the new man. The first man and the second man. And so in those, in those ways that Jesus becomes the second Adam, and also the new man. And this is God's answer to the fact that we needed to be reconciled. God couldn't just say, eh, forget it. Now, I know, we've, we've had people offend us. We've had people do harm to us, do wrong to us. And many times we can just say, it's all right. Let's forget it. It's not that big a deal, right? Now, if I spilled my water at the table... That was never an issue with my dad. There was, there was no reconciliation for tipping over your water. How many had that experience when you were a child? Yeah. So there's no, ah, forget it, it's okay. No, there was no, ah, forget it. You're going you're gonna to hear about this for the next hour. But anyway, but God has made a way to remove that barrier, to remove what was between, and he did it by sending the second man. So, as we come down, we look here, the, this reconciliation is obtained through the second man. So, go down to about the middle of your first page there. Now, throughout the rest of my notes, I have tried my best in most places to identify Adam with blue type and identify Christ and righteousness with green. So if you have black and white, because that's how you, some of you online may have printed it, you're not going to see these colors. Uh, just guess. But, um, but I'll try to explain it. So verse 15. Romans chapter 5 and verse 15 says, But the free gift. What is this free gift? Well, it's reconciliation through Jesus Christ. That's the free gift. And, and in the Greek language, it's this gracious gift because it comes from the word charis and the word gift. And so it's grace gift, as if it's a gift gift. And this is the free gift. And what is this free gift? Reconciliation through Jesus Christ. What is the free gift? It's our salvation. What is the free gift? It's our redemption. What is this free gift? It's life in Jesus Christ. You can put a whole bunch of different things in there because it's the free gift. 
and everything that comes with that work of Jesus Christ. But reconciliation is the subject in this passage. And so this free gift, reconciliation through Jesus Christ, is not like the trespass. So you got the free gift versus the trespass. The trespass was sin. The free gift is what? Life in Jesus Christ. Reconciliation. The trespass was raising the wall of enmity, hostility. The free gift is removing it. And so the free gift is not like the trespass. For if, for if many died through one man's trespass... How many? How many people died? Verse there, there, how many died through one man's trespass? Oh. Everyone. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of people, right? A lot of people died because of one sin. But listen to Paul, much more. And this is this this it's like I don't know, that doesn't sound right. But much more. This is what follows is more than what I just talked about. Much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So one man sinned, one sin, all died. All sinned, one man died, and we received life. Wow. So, yeah, it was... Say, well, that's not fair. One man sinned and we all died. Yeah, but we all sinned and one man died and we receive life. Wow. That's abounding grace. That's God abounding toward us. And the word abound means to go beyond the bounds, to, to overdo something way beyond what would be called for way beyond what could be imagined or expected this is abounded for many verse 18 therefore as one trespass led to condemnation for all say haven't we just didn't we just say that yeah we did but it's paul and he's going to say it again and and so so do i so Therefore, as one trespass, he said it one way, now I'm going to say it another way. For as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So one act of sin brought condemnation, judgment, death to all men. But one act of righteousness... This is not your act of righteousness. This is his act of righteousness, which was what? To die in your place. That's his act of righteousness. That's the free gift of God. This one act of righteousness leads to justification for all men. What all men? All men who receive. Life for all men. For as by the One man's disobedience, okay, here we go again. By one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the the many will be made righteous. Notice the phrase, will be made righteous. Not are, as if it's a 
foregone conclusion and everybody is now righteous. No, many will be made righteous. And how are you made righteous? The just shall live by faith. All right. So the way to righteousness is through faith. So this is the application of this. Now, I put down here at the bottom, going back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, because it's, it's like a mirror verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So he became this, this one to remove the barrier. And if I am in him, then I die with Christ, and I'm raised with Christ, and I'm alive with Christ. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. I'm no longer of Adam. I know, i got a physical body that's descended from Adam, but that's just physical. I'm not of Adam anymore. I'm of who? I'm of Christ. If anyone is in Christ, I'm not in Adam. In Adam, all died. In Christ, we will all be made alive. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old, in Adam, has passed away. Behold, the new, in Christ, justification, reconciliation, righteousness, salvation, redemption, propitiation, the removal of God's wrath. All of that is yours. The new has come. Skip down to verse 21. And for our sake, he that is God made him that is Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. We were the thing that separated But Christ stepped in, took that position for us, so that he could die for our sin and then be raised to life to show that our sin had been forgiven, removed. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become, big word, might become. We might become. And there's two applications of this might become. That without doing this, you couldn't be. So if Jesus didn't bear our sin, remove the barrier, and bring us into relationship with God, we couldn't be. But also the potential is Not everybody is. We might become the righteousness of God. And so we receive this because we are in Christ. And the the key to all of this is in Christ. In Christ. In Christ. I've said this before. We'll get to it somewhere down the line here. But you don't have a covenant with God. You're in Christ. And he's in covenant with God. Why? Because if it was you holding the covenant, wouldn't last very long, would it? 
but you're in Christ and he's holding the covenant and it's secure. So our salvation is because we're in Christ, not because you have this position. Your position is because you're in Christ. Just like you were in Adam, now you're not in Adam. You are not in Adam. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, you are no longer in Adam. You are in Christ. And therefore, you have this new life. Now, I kind of made a little summation statement down at the bottom. Sin entered through one man. All were under sin. All were dead. But God made the Christ, the Messiah, the substitute, the Redeemer, to be the bearer of our sin. He was put to death in our place, then raised to life to show that all the penalty, death, had been accepted by God. He was put to death because of our sin and raised to life because of our justification. And so the justification was done and his resurrection is the signature that it's been done. One little point, I didn't put it in here, but you notice that through most of this, it's the name Christ, not Jesus. Because Christ ties in together with all the Old Testament promise, all the way back to the tree. All the way back to man's sin and God saying the seed would crush the enemy's head. That there would be a seed, there would be a seed, a promise, a redeemer, a kinsman, a substitute, a lamb, a sacrifice. And so the Christ is that tie back to all of those things. Jesus was an earthly name that came to him at his birth when he came into the earth. And he is Jesus the Christ. And a few places, Paul puts the name Jesus in here. But in most of these statements, it's Christ. Christ. Why? Because that's the one that God had promised. The Messiah. The Redeemer. And this is to identify him with that. Part of what Paul is doing is he's undermining some of his Jewish opponents. Some of those who would say, yeah, but we're looking for the Messiah. Well, the Messiah is Jesus. This, Yeah, you are looking for the Messiah. But you need to stop looking and acknowledge that Jesus is the one. So he's going to get to about the Jews later, chapters 9, 10, 11. Okay, let's finish down to the bottom. God's acceptance brought reconciliation to all who accept the Redeemer. God reconciled, but your acceptance is necessary. And all who believe are justified. This brings life eternal and deliverance from God's wrath. So, top of page two. Two men of Romans chapter five. First of all, I think most of you are enough Bible students to understand a type, what a type is, but I cover that here because there may be people who are not used to uh, seeing or understanding or making a relationship with what we call a type. All right, so typology is extremely important within the scriptures. 
because things that are in the New Testament are the fulfillment of a shadow that is in the Old Testament. And so the, the shadow is back there. And so types or shadows are what we see in the Old Testament. The New Testament is the substance or what we also call the anti-type. Now, you say, anti, that sounds bad. No, it's just the opposite side of the type, okay? So, type and an antitype. A type, Adam, and its antitype, Christ, are compared or contrasted to each other in some significant way. So, you can, you can go through the New Testament and find place after place where Adam and Christ, sin, and Christ, death, and life. So these things are contrasted or compared. And uh, Paul makes a comparison in, in Adam and Christ, but then he also the contrast. The free gift, righteousness through Jesus Christ, is not like the trespass, which came through Adam. And so there's a contrast there. Uh, and so in, in Romans chapter 5, Adam and Christ are in contrast for the most part. There's other places where we can find a comparison, but here for the most part it's contrast as covenant heads. Adam did something and it all came upon mankind. Jesus did something and all who believe receive. So this is the way that God has produced this, um, this Old Testament. Now, you can go back to the Old Testament and find places where some people can be a type of Christ for a period of time, but not for their entire life. So there's places where Joseph can serve as a type of Christ. There's places where Isaac is a type of Christ. There's other places where Isaac is a type of us. And so, then there's places where Isaac is just Isaac, right? So, don't make everything in the Old Testament a type, but if there is New Testament relationship to something that is back there, uh, I try to only make reference to types that the Bible clearly says are types, but there are times when I can see a type in something, but I won't enforce it. Because it might be something I see, but not everybody does. But here it's very clear. Paul put a, puts them right here in the verse. There's, there's no doubting it. So you can flip over to that last page in your notes to, tonight and look at the blue and the green. And you've got type and anti-type. All right? Adam, the type. Blue. Christ, the anti-type. The green. All right, so go back here to page two. And so... This type and antitype are real things. They're real things. There are no types in the Old Testament that are just a story made up. They refer to a real something. Jonah, at one place, in a sense, serves as a type of Christ. Not always, because... <laughs> Jesus didn't run from the cross. But um, Jonah 
ran. But then when Jodah descended into death in Jodah chapter 2, it's very clear that there's a type of Christ. How do we know that? Because what? He got out. But he was there for three days. But how would he know it was a type? Jesus said so. Jesus told us it was. So as Jonah was, all right, so there you are. So people say, well, Jonah's just a story. No, not if he's a type, is real. And so if he's making reference to something, it's because it's real. And so a type and antitype occur in real history. They're not allegories. They're not stories that are made up. They're real things. When Paul here presents Adam as the covenant head of the original creation and that Christ is the covenant head of the new creation, he's giving verification that Adam was a real person. Otherwise, it wouldn't be used as a type. And so this reality uh, that Christ is the fulfillment, Paul says so, of Adam means that Adam was real. And Jesus himself even makes reference to Adam. So this reality establishes that one person did something, believed something, introduced something, that someone else, thousands of years later, fulfilled. And so one is a picture, the other is the real. Or, as I have made reference, if there was a strong light behind me, and I put up my hand, and the shadow of my hand fell upon you, is my hand upon you? No. No. This the shadow is. But the real is what's casting the shadow. And so the fact that there is a type or a shadow indicates that there's something, substance, that's behind it. I like to use, you know, which would you rather have? The shadow of a steak or a steak? Yeah, I'm going for the steak. All right. But, uh, okay, now I'm hungry. And uh, call the restaurant. Anyway. Um, so the shadow is the thing that's in the Old Testament. So the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Was it real? Was there real wood? Real gold? Linen, curtains, goat's hair? All those things, yeah, it was there. But the Bible says it was a shadow. It was a shadow of the true tabernacle that's in heaven. So the true tabernacle in heaven is the substance, and it cast a shadow upon the earth that looked like the tabernacle. So there you have the type, the tabernacle on the earth, and the real, the tabernacle that's in heaven. And that tabernacle in heaven is the redemptive purpose, plan, and work of Jesus Christ. Say, huh? Yeah, and cast upon the earth, it looks like the tabernacle. Say, uh, read Hebrews. 
Okay. So, this type and shadow, antitype and substance. And Paul specifically says things that in the Old Testament are but a shadow, whereas Christ is the substance. That's Colossians chapter 2 and verse 17. So the real is Christ. So don't get caught up in the shadow. Don't get all involved and engaged in the shadow. The law is a shadow of God's righteous demands. But don't get caught up in the law. Get caught up in Christ fulfilling the law and bringing us into relationship with God. As man, we couldn't live it. Through Jesus Christ, we do. Because he's the fulfillment of all those things. So, now, in Romans 5, verses 13 through 14, it presents the fact that all humans die because they are in Adam. And some people say, well, you know, the law was only from Moses. So we're talking about the law. I mean, the law was only from Moses to Christ. So what about all those people that were before Christ? And that's, that's the proposed question that Paul is responding to in verses 13 and 14. It's like someone said, yeah, but, you know, the law's only, you know, and, and what about all those people that were before? They weren't under the law. You're right. But what? They died. So you say, well, if, if death is only because of the law. No, death is not just because of the law. Death is because of sin, sin which is because of Adam. Adam is the problem, not the law. The law was just something that God introduced for a short period of time. Now, it wasn't short for the people that lived under it, but it was short in the aspect of God. From Moses... About 1800 B.C. to the time of Christ. So 1800, maybe 1850 years. There's thousands of years before that. And people what? Died. Which is evidence that they were in sin. Because they died because they were in sin. And they were in sin because they were in Adam. And so that's the argument that he presents in verses 13, 14. So consider the people who lived between Adam and Moses. They did not disobey what God explicitly commanded in the same way Adam and the Israelites did. God commanded Abram, don't eat the tree. Oh, I didn't go to the tree. God commanded Moses, you know, all these 613 commandments. I don't, I didn't break any of those. I don't wear wool and linen, you know, combined in my garments. Did you know that was a sin? Yeah, it's a sin. You say, well, we didn't, we didn't break the laws like they broke the laws. You know what you sound like? Younger brother. I didn't do what he did. A whining child. Okay, but. But the point is, those from Adam and Moses died. And the fact that they died showed that they were in sin. And they were in sin because they were in Adam. All right? So all of this goes back to Adam, not the law. The law was temporary. And Paul very clearly argues that. Galatians chapter 2, 3, 
Galatians 2 and 3 is just such powerful stuff. But Paul very clearly says there that, you know, the law was just temporary. It was there as a tutor to lead us to Christ, to teach us to follow God's ways, which was to accept his son as our Savior. You can't live by this, so you need a Savior. Between all those things, they died because of their sin, not because of the law. So Paul affirms that all humans sinned before God gave the law. And God knows that Adam was the originator of all of that sin, and it passed down to Adam. But all people wasn't just the people that lived under the law, because the law was only given to the Jews. The law was not given to the world. The law was not given to the Gentiles. The law was given to the Jews. And there was a lot of people who weren't Jews. All the nations of the earth, the Gentiles, they all what? They all died. Well, they weren't under the law. They didn't have to be. The fact that they died showed that they were in sin. And they were in sin because they were in Adam. Are you going to get tired of me here saying that? Yeah, probably. What about children? Children that are too young to know the law. Do children die? Yeah, why? Because they're in Adam. Not because they broke some commandment. They're too young to know commandments. They die because they're in Adam. Death is still there. The beautiful part of that is because God sees them as innocent, he brings them into his presence but they still die. Death is the sign that you're there. So now we come down to chapter 5, verse 15, bottom of page 2. Adam, original sin resulted in God condemning sinners to eternal death. Adam's sin. But Christ's sacrificial death resulted in God justifying Big word, believing sinners and giving them eternal life. When we came to Christ, Paul says we were dead, we were sinners, we were enemies, we were out of the covenant, we were outlaws. But Adam's death is overcome by Christ's life. Adam's first trespass brought catastrophic results. Did he know that that would happen? Did he know that what he was going to do was going to affect so much? No. But God told him, in the day you eat, you will die, and then you'll die again. You'll die, die. That's what it says. You'll die once, immediately. And then eventually, you'll die. What death did he have immediately? Spiritual death. He was immediately separated from God. That hostility came up. Whereas he had been a friend of God, walked with God in the cool of the day, talked with God for how long, we have no idea. Now there's a wall. And there is a barrier between Adam and God. And ultimately, 
939 years later, he did die. Can you imagine what he watched? Devolve. People believe in evolution. No, it's devolution. He watched the earth die. Devolve. Everything that had been so good and righteous and pristine suddenly became ugly, deadly, corroded, and everything began to die. Top of your next page. Original guilt versus original sin. Original guilt is the fact that Adam was guilty before God. Is that right? And we are guilty before God because we're in Adam. And because we're guilty before God in Adam, we do what? We sin. And so we are all sinners. And we're all in need of God's sacrifice. But not everybody sees it that way. And so they don't come to God. The one that can redeem them. In our world today, they're raising up all kinds of things to keep people from even acknowledging their need for salvation. latest thing I saw a couple of days ago is we don't need to call God Father. If that's an offensive term, we need to remove that. And so the Bishop of England, um, he told his people they, they can stop using Father because that offends that offends people and um, because people today have a hard time with father do you think that there weren't people in Jesus day that hadn't had a that had had maybe a bad relationship with their father do you, do you think there were some people it was Jesus walked the earth but did that stop him from using the name father no well, they, that's what he wants to do. They haven't, but he says you don't need to. But um, Jesus started out the prayer that way. Our Father who art in heaven. What's, what's the next word? Hallowed. Hallowed. Mean holy. Holy is your name. Yeah. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Okay, let me get back to my notes. This gracious gift, righteousness that is ours because of Jesus Christ, has come to us because of what Christ has done. And so he stepped in. We had Adam, and then comes Christ. There was no wrestling match. Why? Adam was dead. But he left behind all of the substance. So what Jesus stepped into was all of the aftermath, the after effects of what Adam had introduced. So, about the middle of your page three, Paul returns and he makes this statement in verse 18. As Adam's transgression resulted in condemnation for all those who are in Adam. Condemnation for all those who what? Were in Adam. All right, so his one sin brought condemnation, judgment, worthy of eternal death 
right? For all those who are in Adam. So, as that, so, next line, so one man's, who's this? Who's this man? Jesus the Christ. So one man's righteous righteousness resulted in justification. His righteousness brought me justification. For all those who are what? In Christ. How do you get in Christ? Through faith. To believe that you are in Christ. For all those who are in Christ. Not for all those who are in the earth. Not for all those who are alive. Not for all those who were in Adam. It's not like he totally reversed everything. And so what Adam did, now Jesus undid. So everybody was dead. Now because of Christ, everybody's life. No, only those who are what? In Christ. Then he comes back and says it again. As by the one man's disobedience, what man? Adam. The many were made, that is, have the status of, that's what were made means, have the status of sinners. As by one man's disobedience, the many, meaning all, many, were made sinners. Second part of verse 18. So by the one man's obedience... What one man? Jesus the Christ. By one man's obedience, the many will be made. In other words, they will have the status of righteous for all who believe. And so this, this word believe, I, I did this earlier in my sessions. I don't know it was the early part of the Romans where I went through and I highlighted all of the places i forget how many there are should have counted them up again how many places the word faith or believe occurs in the book of romans it's over and over and over and over faith believe faith believe faith believe so is that essential yeah it's not just god doing it god sent his son to the cross he died for everyone God said he was reconciling the world, but is everybody reconciled? No. no. It's just like, here's, here's the gift. Come receive it. Compel people. I beg you in Christ's stead. Be reconciled to him. God has done his part for humanity. But until you step forward and receive that reconciliation... You won't be justified. You will not be in a right relationship with God. Humanity can have this status of righteousness because they are united in Christ. In Christ, who is their identity. My old identity was Adam. My new identity is in Christ. I am in Christ. I can do all things through Christ. In him I live. In him I have all things. In him I have received every good gift. In him. And so all of these things are because I am in him. 
I have peace because I am in him. And all of these things that have have done because of what Christ has done, and we accepted that. And so that's the work of redemption. Now, last paragraph. One purpose of the law was to increase the recognition of sin. It didn't increase sins, although that's the way it sounds from the verse. It increased the recognition of sin. So if you look at that last page, uh, verse uh, 20, down toward the bottom there, verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, skip over to the right-hand column, grace abounded all the more. So the law came in to make everybody more a sinner than they were. No, it came to reveal how bad a sinner you were. And so the law just pointed out things that said, this separates you from God. 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 Oh, I didn't know it. You don't have to know it. It's true. And so the law came to increase the understanding to increase the recognition of sin. It didn't make people sinners that they weren't before because why? They were dying before the law anyway. But grace abounded. The more you see your sin, the more you realize the grace that God has exercised in your life. That's why Paul can proudly say, as far as I'm concerned, I'm the chief of sinners. I'm I'm the head of what sinfulness is. But look at the last part of verse 21 on your page there. Go back to the left column. So that as sin reigned in death, because you recognized how much sin you had, sin reigned in producing death. I'm at the bottom of page 4 the very end so that as sin reigned in death right hand column grace also might reign what's the next what's that word might reign might reign sin did reign whether you believed it or not whether you accepted it or not whether you wanted it or not But grace might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through who? Jesus Christ, our Lord. So it's only through Jesus Christ and through acknowledgement of him and through seeing all that he has done that we have this life. So again, go back to the bottom of your page three and let me finish up the last couple sentences. Bottom of page three. The more we recognize our sin, the more we recognize what he has done to bring us into this place of righteousness. People say, why should I study the book of Leviticus? Okay, number one, it's in the Bible. It's the third book in the Bible. (laughs) So, 
Yeah, it's important. Why? Because it points out your sin. I don't want to know all that stuff. Yeah, but what it does is it makes you so much more thankful of all that God has done to save you. In that way, grace reigns through righteousness. The more I see how bad the sin, the more I realize all that God has done. And that righteousness is this gracious gift, the free gift that we've been talking about. This righteousness is the gracious gift, a righteous status that God gives to those who believe when he justifies them. And God brings you into that place of relationship. He's reconciled you. He's removed the barrier. Now he brings you into that right relationship. And what is the result of that? Life eternal. Hey, it doesn't get any better than that. All right. So that's our lesson for tonight. Next week, we get to jump into chapter 6. Yay!